Welcome to the latest instalment of The Curious Capitalist. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also local business owners, startups and entrepreneurs from across the state of Connecticut. On this edition of The Curious Capitalist, I'm joined by Jennifer Smithberger, who is the co-founder of Cedarship and a board member of Conscious Capitalism, the Connecticut chapter. Jennifer, hello and welcome. Hi, Claire. Nice to be here. Great to have you. Uh, So let's dive straight in. Tell me a little bit about your current situation, being the co-founder and chief seater of Cedarship and indeed a board member of CC. Tell me about that. Let's see. I have been at Cedarship now full-time about a year and eight months. I left the corporate world June 2018 and I have been enjoying the entrepreneur journey. It's taken me a while to acknowledge myself as an entrepreneur, um, kind of shedding all my corporate you know, philosophy and mindset. It was a leap of faith I made to really pursue a passion and something that I wholeheartedly believe in and, and want to see how I can make a difference. Fantastic. And you joined the board of Conscious Capitalism, the Connecticut chapter as well. Yes, I joined last summer. One of uh, Cedarship's clients uh, introduced, she was a former board member and made the introduction to the executive director. So we sat down and chatted and there was so much alignment between what Conscious Capitalism, the philosophy represents and what we do believe at Cedarship. At Cedarship, it's about aligning profit with purpose with the idea of how do you create more good in the community. So it just seemed like such a natural fit yeah, for, a for us. it's a perfect fit, isn't it? So what was your life in the corporate world? Tell me a little bit about your, your past life, shall we say. Oh, goodness. I, I rarely reminisce. Um, it seems so many decades and decades ago now. <laughs> <laughs> I started out in, um, in agencies in New York City, public relations. So that was a lot of media relations. I worked with a lot of large global clients focused on technology, B2B. Uh, so that was very fast-paced and exciting. Everything from product launches to mergers, acquisitions, IPOs. Then I went to go work uh, as a director of PR for a startup in Silicon Valley. So that was very exciting, being inside an organization, internal and external communications. And my goal was always to to land a gig at a large corporate company. So the first one I went to was Honeywell. I was there about eight years. Um, I was part of the corporate communications team supporting the CEO's communications and kind of global initiatives. So that was exciting. Um, That was the first time as well that I was part of a large team all driven and aligned around kind of uniting employees around a strategy or communicating to stakeholders a strategy. And after that, let's see, there I did communications. I also did events, Um, all of the CEO's trips and events and productions. So that was very exciting, very disciplined, very focused. Um, I then I made my way to Cigna where I had a very similar job, communications for the CEO. went to travelers the same types of jobs somewhere along the line though around 2014 is where I started realizing is there more can I do more I took a gap year between Cigna and travelers to really explore that my brother works for the United Nations so it was always funny going home you know for the holidays and the conversations were always around him I mean his lifestyle is so different so I was very intrigued about you know what can I do? You know, corporate, 
there is a sense of fulfillment. I'm helping leaders communicate their strategy. I'm helping employees be engaged to their job. But could I do more? Can I do this in a larger forum? So, but I didn't know what that was. So I volunteered so many nonprofits throughout the year. Uh, my husband would say I'm the, I'm the hardest working non-paid person because I was always <laughs> rushing around. You know, I'd be working at like two or three different nonprofits in a day. I did a mission trip in Jordan. That really had a big impact on me um, because I got to help people and see the people I was helping. Um, we're doing um, health services for refugees from Syria. That's what I wanted. How can I be that close to the people that I'm helping? Absolutely. Came back, though, to Travelers for three more years. It was a great role, but it was that inkling still. Yeah. I, I want to try something. I want to do something. You planted the seed. It, and it seed took, and it, you see what you're it right. There? Very good, Claire. <laughs> it took a while, though, right? It was yes. planted and it, yeah. it got stayed. Got a it. Give it, it light. It took a long time to finally come out <laughs> and start to blossom. And I guess it's still a work in progress. Absolutely. Uh, what do you wish that you had known before you started out on that career path? If I look at my communications career, the 20 plus years, I would say I was so focused on the destination. Um, in college, I was involved in a student organization, so I had access to professionals who gave me, who were very good mentors. So I had planned my my career, like my milestones and what my objective was for each one, yeah. that I never took the time to take my head up and enjoy the journey or build relationships that were deeper than work. I, you know, good, I had healthy work relationships, but work is so much more enjoyable and pleasurable when you have deeper connections with people beyond the work. Yeah. So that would be for me. Yeah, that um, balance. It's, it's always tough, you know, it's, it's always that work-life balance, they say, but the relationships that we form with people around us, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, the intensity I had was so much that it prevented me from allowing myself to enjoy those relationships. And now in my short career so far as an entrepreneur, I would say the lesson that I'm working on still is that it's about progress versus perfection. Um, You know, nothing, everything I do, I have to realize it's evolving and it's more about getting it out there and getting it started. So that's been the one for me. It's always remember, as long as I'm moving ahead one step, that's what it's about. Thinking about the culture and leadership without sort of defaulting to the generic core values, what language do you use to describe your organization's culture? Does it have like a real character to it, a definable character? I would say there's uh, two co-founders right now at Cedarship and because it's so purpose-driven, I mean, we left our careers and our careers were still growing. There was a lot of safety in that. Everything we do is aligned to our purpose. So yes, the the values are very present in everything we do. I would say innovation, you know, you're trying to solve a problem. We found an opportunity of something that we thought where we could make a difference. Uh, So there's a lot of curiosity and innovation. We're constantly talking to potential clients where clients understand what are their needs and how can we solve for that. I would say another one would be transparency that is ingrained in in how we built the product we're all about measuring the good you do and being very transparent about what you give back to the community Uh, collaboration that is critical Uh, we're a startup so 
as our relationships and as we expand with our partners, our clients, our um, vendors, every person is so critical to our journey. So it's a very collaborative environment. And as I mentioned, purpose mm. and passion. Tell that drives some- everything we do every day. It's what fuels us right now. Tell me about some of the success stories that you, you've had so far to date. You know, a little little victory, should we say, or success stories. That is so true. You have to celebrate those little ones. Always. Oh, let me see. Along the way, things I remember. When we created the logo, I think that was a big one because we just knew. It was an aha moment because it embodied our approach, our philosophy, what we were trying to express who we are and what we're trying to achieve. So that was a a big first win for us. Um, When the platform went live, that was huge to see something that we had been sketching and drafting and, you know, blueprints to see it actually functioning and working. Um, Our first client, you would think that it was like we hit the jackpot, (laughs) but to have someone really believe in you enough that they are going to pay for that service and be willing to try it with you was a big win. And another one was because it's our baby, when we talk to people, it wasn't just like, oh, tell us about Cedarship. Who are you? It became like this entire novella because we were talking about who we were, who we are, and who we want to be. So we participated in one of Reset's pitch events uh, where you have to tell your story in five minutes to an entirely audience who's never heard you. And we won the Judge's Choice Award. Oh, fantastic. So for that, that represented, like, good, we got our story. It's clear. It's concise. We expressed our value. Um, and they believed in us. So that was a huge celebration for us. Yeah, that's fantastic. We, uh, we interviewed uh, Sarah Bodley. Uh, the executive director from Reset in Hartford. You can actually, if you're if you're listening now, you can actually have a, a little look through the various tracks, and you can see the uh, the podcast that we did with her not so long ago. So last summer, you joined the the board of Conscious Capitalism, the Connecticut chapter. So Conscious Capitalism claims that stakeholder management is about understanding complex systems and the interrelationships, if you like, between actors in those systems. How have you developed an awareness of that interrelationship between stakeholders? And have you done any formal stakeholder mapping exercises? Well, we're a startup, so no, we haven't done a mapping series because it's so ever-present in everything we do. So, of course, employees are critical. I mean, we're the driving force and we all wear many, many, many hats. Um, Our partners are also, I would say, an extension of our team. We've been very selective. We've learned um, that they also have to share our passion and our vision. But they're essential. They're essentially like departments. Yes. Uh, So they are in line with our purpose and they have absolute ownership. I want them to feel that they're helping to shape the organization. Our clients, of course, that's critical. Um, Our early adopters understanding their needs, um, constantly focused on are we delivering value? Are we delivering enough value? Uh, The community is, in essence, why we do what we do. We wanted to help create and inspire more good in our communities. And, well, the shareholders is right now the the co-founders. So if anything is missing, I think it's right now... For us, it's an investment in the future. Yeah, absolutely. What does it mean to you that your company has a higher purpose, a higher stated purpose? I would say that is like the motivating force behind everything we do. It is 
critical to how we think about all the decisions we make. Um, it seems to be kind of just the the core essence of every day. And as we think about short and long-term decisions, it is what the base that we go to in, in decision-making. So you almost check it across, uh, check any decisions you make in business-wise against your higher purpose to check it's in alignment before sort of moving forward, essentially. Everything has to be about elevating the visibility of good and inspiring more good. And then the, how we do that might change. Yeah. I mean, right now it's through helping small businesses align the good that they do, the investments they make in the community with their business goals. But the big purpose overall is visibility to the good that's happening and how do we inspire and create more kindness. And how do you communicate that purpose internally and externally? Branding. The logo is so critical for us because that's the visual representation. Yes. So every day it's hard to, on my business cards, when you walk into our office, it's present there. The logo has three parts to it. Uh, there is um, a small S for Cedarship, and that represents that every act matters, big or small. They all aggregate to have big impact. And you never know how one act of kindness can cascade. Yeah, absolutely. The um, ripple effect. The ripple effect of yeah. it. Then we have an open hand. In the logo, which represents that everyone has something to give. And everyone has a responsibility, uh, an opportunity to make a difference. And then we have the three leaves, which represent plant seeds of kindness, grow, nurture them, and then share them. And that's essentially the stages of how we built the platform, what the platform offers today. That's great. That's really good. If a company is wanting to make a shift towards more consciousness, what would your advice be to them? I would say it needs to start at the top, but it needs to engage all employees throughout the organization. Um, visions, strategies are exciting, um, but it can be very demoralizing for employees throughout the organization if they don't understand their connection to it and how they can connect to it? How can they in their day-to-day -day jobs help embody that? So I think leadership is critical and not just sh sharing it. Tell your story repeatedly, but then help enable employees to be part of that. Yeah. Uh, in my previous jobs in corporate, what I love doing is sharing the vision, connecting it to the external, right? It's not just what we're doing here, but how do we help you know, in the industry or in, in the world but then also showing repeatedly, show other employees at all parts of the organization helping to achieve that purpose and tell their story of how they did it. Mm, nice. So it's constantly reminding and helping to empower employees to live that vision. Yeah, to actually live it. If you could snap your fingers and make one cultural change happen in your company, what would it be and why? So that one I'm, I... If I think about it, I'm going to have to say it's more of a personal, as a founder, right? I'm kind of a cornerstone of cedarship and, yep. and what I bring to the office every day, I think, affects the company since we're still, um, I would say, if, we, if I had to say we're human, we're still an infant, right? We're, yeah. we're just starting to learn yeah. to walk and run. So for me, it's a personal, it's not a cedarship, but it's, it's fear, this fear of failure, Yes. Uh, which in corporate is very present all the time. You know, you have to get things right, deliver things in their final form with perfection. I'm trying to let that go. Yes. 
And when I'm, tr everything I'm doing at Cedarship is trial and error. I have to learn how to fail, get up, and learn quickly. So for me, it's having to learn that it's better to move faster than worrying about the outcome so much. Yeah, it's the action of doing it, getting something done. If you don't do it, it can never happen. So yeah, And I just you learn at a faster pace by being willing to try versus trying to control the outcomes and ensure if I have it right all the time. Absolutely. Progress, as you said, not perfection. <laughs> Absolutely. Thinking about the, the time that you spent as a part of uh, Conscious Capitalism, the Connecticut chapter, what has been the most eye-opening thing, the, most, the biggest revelation you've had since joining the board or perhaps the most fun event that you've attended uh, on behalf of the board? That's a good question. I'm going to give you a few things. The first one is I went to the annual event last summer and uh, one of their co-founders of Conscious Capitalism was a speaker. I'm going to say his name wrong. Raj Sisodia. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. It was so inspiring, motivating. I just latched on to everything he said I wanted more. <laughs> it was like, tell me how I can get involved and what actions can I take? So that's been the most invigorating one. Yeah. Um, then the other one is being surrounded and finding other like-minded individuals. Uh, we all believe that business is good, that profits is something that can be incongruent with purpose. Yeah. Um, all individuals who kind of had had an, an epiphany at some point in their career where they realize I can continue doing what I do, but there is like another level. Taking a greater visibility and ownership of your impact to all the stakeholders involved. So I think it's that great awareness. So that's been another epiphany. There's no one that really, that I've met, that doesn't agree with the philosophy or the concept. But where people get hung up is, well, how do I start? Yeah. It's so grandiose. It's so, um, I don't know, overwhelming and transformative that I think people are more, well, I, I don't know how to take some of that. I need a piece of that, but yeah. how do I implement it? Yep. So that's been the hardest part. The I practicality think is of how do we make it real for people? Yep, and agree. again, it's that progress over perfection. There is no right way for it. It's how can you start implementing it in your organization? Yeah, yeah you know, you're right. And I think that certainly the events that I've attended uh, that have been run by Conscious Capitalism has given me a few pointers into how you can actually immediately implement that. But more than that, it's been very interesting watching companies come to Conscious Capitalism who have been actually following many of the principles for many years, but they didn't have a name for it. And they discover Conscious Capitalism, like, oh, oh, hang on, this is, this is what we do. We do this already. And, and actually, it gives them ways of harnessing what they're doing and actually making it bigger, better, and more, um, which has been really sort of really rewarding, certainly rewarding. Um, okay, more about you. Are you ready to be grilled? Go for it. Right. It's like jeopardy of my own life. Yes. Here Do we go. I have the right answer? Ready? <laughs> Fingers on the buzzer. No. <laughs> what is the greatest personal fear that you've ever faced in your life? Oh, public speaking is one of them. Oh my goodness, <laughs> really? I dread it. You speak very well. I have spent my most of my career helping other leaders prepare for public speaking. 
And I loved being behind the curtain. I loved being the person at the bottom of the stage helping them kind of fulfill their, you know, their vision and share their passion. But for me to be up front, yep. I dread it. Really? I dread it beyond anything. I've faced it a few times, though, multiple times um, in my 20s. I used to travel a lot with clients going on media tours, San Francisco, kind of Boston, New York, the route. And they said that I was too much work 24-7. Because I... way? Well, at dinner, on the drives, you know, on the flights. Oh, you were working the whole time. Because that's what my... That's what I was there for, to work. Yeah. But they said I needed to learn how to relax. But I just wasn't good at that conversation that loose conversation so i took improv comedy for nearly two years (laughs) in new york city i was among students who were all comedians or they were all actors and me your dedication is unbelievable it was dreadful it was (laughs) it was the upright citizens brigade and we used to do all these skits and at the end of each you know we took a semester-long courses we'd have to perform and it was about a hundred people that would show up and I would be the person up on the stage and I always have to like prepare and think of my statement and the next one and then the next one. So I didn't realize, but I would pace back and forth side to side and I would mumble what I was going to say. And this was caught on video. Oh my goodness. So I have my head down mumbling, like ready for my moment to jump in. And then I'd come in with like these great one, two liners and then I'd be like, someone save me, get me off the stage. Oh my but it did help me. I think, I don't think I improved. <laughs> what happened is I got comfortable or used to being uncomfortable. That yes. when I got the jitters and palmy hands, I would just adapt to it and kind of go with it. I think it's when I remove myself from it that I allow that anticipation to build up. So you took that course because you struggled to essentially switch off on work tools yes and then uh i did it again when i started with cedarship i did it here at um ct improv that's incredible because i just knew i need to get used to being uncomfortable so i had to put myself into that space how incredibly driven that's amazing (laughs) another one is i fear water i don't even like getting into the deep end of a pool i thought you were gonna say the bath then no that i'm okay (laughs) with but the pool wave pools I just I just avoid water I have two stepdaughters and for me I've always been thinking like what can I bring to their lives you know I'm I'm, I'm part of their lives I want to not swimming lessons no no <laughs> they're already good swimmers but I'm always like you know what what for me what can I give to them and I've always encouraged them to be more adventurous to experience things before they make judgment to explore the world because you never know where it can lead you. So one day we're on the couch and Morgan was watching, she's my oldest stepdaughter, was much watching a show and it was people scuba diving and she just expressed interest that I want to do that one day. <laughs> so here I am, I'm like, I'm going to make that happen. So our just next- not with you. <laughs> mm, our next family vacation, I planned it. We were visiting my mother in South Florida. So I booked us to get certified for scuba diving. Wow. And my husband was floored because he knows I hate the water. He was like, are you going to take the course with us? And I dabbled with that. 
but I went with it because I wanted to see them experience it. Yes. I wanted to see them interact with their dad, and I wanted to have an experience where all of us were learning at the same time. So to cut the, you know, we, we went on the vacation. Come on, did you we do it? We spent five days learning. The first day was in the pool. The second day was 25 feet of water. The next day was 40. The last day we were 70 to 80 feet down swimming through um, a wreck. I couldn't, I couldn't, the only way I could tell what was up was the way the bubbles went. And it was exhilarating. It was so exciting. But what did it for me is seeing the girls, that sense of adventure and curiosity, being on top of the boat and then like jumping in right away with the tank. They just lunge their bodies off the boat. And I was like, my heartbeat. But I didn't want them to see that I was nervous because I didn't want to impact their experience. So there is one where I faced my fear because the opportunity of experiencing that joy was more important than the, the fear. fear. I'm amazing. still scared to death of water, did though. Did you pass? <laughs> I did pass, and I've gone scuba diving a few times Fantastic. after that. So we, we touched on it earlier, you know, your, your dedication, you're hyper-focused on what you're doing, when you're doing it. When you're not focused on your work, what do you do to relax? Now, that would be a normal question for anybody yeah. else, but actually that's a big deal <laughs> for you. So what do you do to relax? Okay, so I found what makes me relax 18 years ago. I've Is it legal? Hang on. It is legal. Okay. I tried meditation. I tried yoga, but my mind paces so much. I can't seem to control the thoughts to relax. I started martial arts. I always had an affinity for it. I always watched action films. I uh, I was walking by a Taekwondo school in New York City, and I just was like, I want to want to see what that's about. And I knew the moment I walked I've got in. Got this image of the Karate Kid now. I, I the moment I walked <laughs> in, I'm like, I want to be a part of this, and it's been in my life ever since. And I think the reason is because you have to have such a keen sense of awareness of your body, and everything requires so much focus to achieve that it drowns everything out and it helped me when I was working corporate doesn't matter what kind of day I had I would come in there and it would all leave me plus also the physical workout of it I like it like releases all the stress of the day Um, but for me it's something I do purely for fun it is the one thing I have never really judged myself on do they have gradings in taekwondo yes I've never cared about the belt so I've always had to be pushed to test, to test. but I'm a third degree and this year I've been focused on preparing for fourth degree and what what, what is that a color or is black that... belt so hang on a second I thought you I, I, I <laughs> suspected this was where you were going you, you kind of waffled a bit there so you are not focused on it but you are indeed a black belt and a third down yes yeah so you've yes. achieved yeah The first belt was the hardest. Oh, that's what they always say. Oh, my gosh. And I was at a school in New Jersey. That's incredible. And the master was so hard on us. It was an eight-hour test. After that, it's been fine. Um, But I remember when he gave me the belt, he said, now you're finally ready to become a student. Yes. And that stuck with me. Yeah. And I guess that's how I approach everything. It's more of what can I learn? And if I'm not learning, then I should move on. You're training Taekwondo, two stepchildren. I mean, is there any downtime or have you kind of allocated every minute of the day? The days are very programmed. Um, <laughs> and then 
we have meetings like very we every Monday we have meetings at, at 11 every Friday we recap on how did we execute against that and then over the weekends we have brainstorm you know what's next so the days are very intense yes. um, we have to maximize every minute but I do make time for when the kids are there you know we have them split the time with their their mom yeah so when we have them we do have family dinner we will sit on the couch and watch our TV shows yeah. So you touched on television there. Uh, are you a bit of a, a TV or a Netflix fan? I'm a little of both because they serve different functions for okay. me. So on Tuesday nights when we ha- when my stepdaughters are with it. us. I love it. You're so organized. Like, it has to be on a Tuesday night. <laughs> on Tuesday nights, because they're with us, we usually sit on the couch. And we watch, like, America's Got Talent or we watch, like, Dr. Pole. Or now they like... Um, there's a new, like, runway, project runway yes. type of show. I think it's the next... I can't remember the name of the show. It's fun watching with them because it's like a, we're like a panel on a couch Absolutely. talking our way through and we're judging just like the judges in TV. So it's really fun. Um, and then I do watch Netflix when I'm running or on the treadmill. Go on. On the elliptical. And I just hate those kind of just sitting there you know, on the treadmill. I'm, I'm, I'm running, but I'm going nowhere. It's frustrating, but I get lost in a series or something. What series have you loved? Well, it's always action. It's always some kind of martial arts. It doesn't matter what the plot is. As long as there's martial arts, I'm totally there. Or I'll watch Spanish comedies to keep my Spanish going. Fantastico. (laughs) (laughs) It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I've got one last question for you. And I feel like you're going to have an answer for this one. Sometimes people struggle with it, but I think you might just have an answer. Thinking ahead, thinking to the future... What's your future look like in the next five or ten years, both professionally and privately? The next five years are all about cedarship. I'm trying to build a national brand and as well as help small businesses connect all that the good that they already do in their communities with their business. Ten years from now, I think I don't want to have a plan. I've had such a plan the first half of my career. The second half, I'd like to see where it goes. What I do know is I want to have fun. I want to always have purpose. I want to be learning and I want to be helping others. Um, If I have to say the one thing that's been consistent is I like to share people's stories. I like hearing what people are passionate about and um, helping them express that passion. So that is the one thing I know. Where it goes, I'm not sure. It's fantastic. What a great answer. Jennifer, it's been an absolute pleasure. Jennifer Smithberger, co-founder at Cedarship and, of course, a board member of Conscious Capitalism, the Connecticut chapter. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Claire. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the latest installment of The Curious Capitalist. For more information, you can visit the website, connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org.